The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, so that they will not also come to, into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I love when in premarital counseling or just talking to people about their closest relationships, they will say things like, he really sees me, or she really gets me. Or the more vulnerable statement, and maybe even more beautiful, they know everything about me, and they still love me. Crazy, right? I recall several recent occasions saying that the the three needs that humans have to survive, that we're told we need to survive, is, is a little bit incomplete. You know, food, clothing, shelter, or food and water, clothing and shelter. It's missing something in that. We need connection to survive. We literally do. A baby born into an orphanage, for example, that does not receive any human contact or other connection is likely to die even though there would be no other health concerns. And every baby, did you know this, born, every baby, everywhere born, has something like a 1 in 12,000 chance to make eye contact with another human in the room. If you, if you take the room and kind of just grid it into sort of these, these quadrants or pixels, they have a 1 in 12,000 chance to make eye contact. And yet, every single child, regardless of their race, regardless of their language or culture, or where they were born, will within the first three seconds of life make eye contact with another human being as long as their brain function is normal. That's pretty statistically impossible, 
actually, unless, unless we are made for connection, unless we are given this gift as human beings to be connected with one another. So it may not be a coincidence that the Bible tells us that the work of Satan is to categorize, to disconnect us from one another, to feed our assumptions, put us into boxes as individuals or as groups. In fact, I have a quick quiz for you. Where is Satan introduced in the Bible? Anybody know? Easy answer, right? <laughs> oh, somebody said it. Yeah, a couple people. It, Satan is introduced in the book of Job. Yes. Not the talking snake in, in Genesis, but in Job. Satan, that name that means adversary of God. The one who accuses, the one who separates, the one who casts suspicion and doubt and who, who promotes division. We have a sumptuous eater in our, our gospel text for today in this parable. But if there is a sumptuous eater in our current culture, it is Satan, this adversary of God. Division, mistrust, suspicion, seeing and assuming the worst about the other is like an all-you-can-eat buffet for one who opposes God and the kingdom that Jesus is offering to us. And not seeing others, boy, that is probably the greatest dismissal of all. And the rich man in the parable Jesus tells today seems to be kind of in line with this, with this adversarial condition from God's kingdom. He seems to treat Lazarus as nameless, not, not probably surprising to the people who are, who are listening to Jesus Right now, these, a few skeptical Pharisees were told, a, a mix of some other people, and an abundance of what we might call kind of the, the, the peasant mass or the peasant masses. But Jesus does something incredibly shocking in his parable. Right away, he names Lazarus. He names the nobody, the, the beggar at the gate, the one who can be dismissed. And the name is significant. Lazarus means helped by God. Or God helps. And then Jesus gives this kind of general category of those who are sick and kind of ascribes that to Lazarus. It says that Lazarus is covered in sores, and that's, that's kind of a very generalized term for a variety of illnesses. You see, it's as if Jesus is putting forth this category of people that are seen as outcast, that are seen as unworthy, that are seen as even sinful, deserving of their illnesses, and then he's giving them this name. Naming is important. It validates the person being named. Well, speaking of names, it's perhaps even more shocking that Jesus does not name the rich man. He simply calls him the rich man. And we know from Jesus' description that this man is important. Not just because of his wealth, but even what he eats, even how he eats even what he wears, the purple cloth, which was expensive. It's no doubt that everyone around this rich man knows his name. They want to be at his table. They want to be in his good graces, do business with him, sit next to him in the local synagogue. He is blessed. And again, in Jesus' day, there was an assumption that those who prospered were blessed and beloved by God. Whereas those who were poor or sick, or especially if they had maybe some defect, uh, deformity or, or were defective in some way, were serving punishment from God for their sin or maybe the sin of their parents, perhaps. Now, systems of power love this kind of theology. 
my prosperity is a sign of God's blessing. And others' misfortunes, well, that's their problem. But this is a theology of simpletons. It is a theology of lazy people. Thank God we don't think like that today. I mean, such a sense of entitlement would wash over us if we thought we deserved our good things while others deserved evil things. Thank God we aren't entitled. Thank God we don't point the finger or categorize. Thank God we aren't simpletons of convenience like the people of Jesus' day. Whew, okay, I have to pause for a second and whew, cool down the sting of my own words. We've been joking the past few weeks or kind of kidding each other a little bit, those of us who have been preaching about which of us has had the toughest text to preach, the toughest words from Jesus. I know I started off with kind of a similar word from Jesus way back uh, on Labor Day, uh, or Labor Day weekend anyway, and here again there is this warning to the rich. There's been this lineup of sayings and parables, and it's getting very pointed from Jesus, and, and worst of all, it's getting very clear. Jesus seems to be on this straight tear of law, convicting the haves around him who would, who would domesticate his upside-down kingdom, and offering probably at the same time, a pretty welcome worldview to those who are under their power. Jesus, absolute truth, convicting the world of absolute power. And maybe that's just it. Maybe we just need to hear that, be kind of punched in the face in this one. Go and sell everything you have, lest your love of money roots you in evil. Beware the afterlife where your chance for redemption is fenced off with a chasm even the greatest saint could not bridge. And hope, hope you have done enough to, be, to not be on the wrong side of that chasm. Or maybe, maybe we can't work our way to God. Just prior to this parable, by the way, we are told that the Pharisees are lovers of money and they love to justify themselves or they seek to justify themselves. Well, here's the spoiler alert. If you haven't heard it yet, and if you haven't, you haven't been listening, sorry. We can't justify ourselves. Pastor Bill is quick to say that Moses doesn't get you into the promised land. The law doesn't get you there. Well, I might add through Jesus' parable today that the obedience of Abraham doesn't get you there either. Christ alone gets you there. With God, all things are possible. Now that's enough. I think that's gospel that Jesus reaches across that chasm but I think that gospel, too, could be cheapened. You know, kind of like, phew, okay, good. I can dismiss Jesus' words because he'll work it out for me in the end, right? Let me just get back to my nap. Mm -hmm. But I think there might be more, more gospel, deeper gospel in this word today. This week we were looking for special music to kind of sing the gospel for today. And... Um, Looking for the 11 o'clock service specifically because the choir sang today. Although you made that, those fires sound kind of nice. So I don't, I don't know about that. But anyway, that's a beautiful song. <laughs> but I hope you'll look up the song. If you look up the song for the 11 o'clock service, maybe it'll feed some of your reflection after this point. Um, and we're going to put something on our, on our Facebook page as well that'll, that'll feed your reflection. Some spoken word poetry that I think brings this together that Marietta shared with me this week. But we were looking for that special music for the 11 o'clock service, 
And, and then as I was working in my, in my yard on kind of a partial day off on Thursday, I heard this song come on and I thought, oh man, maybe we should have chosen this one instead. Maybe this speaks the gospel better than anything else. And it's a, it's a song from a band called Audio Adrenaline. It starts, it starts out, I think, okay. It says, little hands, shoeless feet, lonely eyes looking back at me. Will we leave behind the innocent too brief? On their own, on the run, when their lives have only begun, these could be our daughters and our sons. And just like a drum, I can hear their hearts beating. I know my God won't let them be defeated. Every child has a dream to belong and be loved. And then this chorus came on. Boys become kings, girls will be queens, wrapped in your majesty. When we love, when we love the least of these, then they will be brave and free. That may sound pretty good at the first listening, but with this gospel word from Jesus today ringing in my ears, I actually stood in my yard. I was actually holding a pickaxe, staring at a tree I was about to plant, and I yelled, no! I'm not sure if my lovely neighbor was out with her new puppy uh, uh, schnitzel, but if she was, she probably scooped him up and ran inside, like there's this crazy guy again. But no, no, no! The shoeless and the hungry and the sick and the downtrodden girls and boys and and men and women for that matter do not become kings and queens because I care for and love them. To me, that's very arrogant and it is absolutely absurd. They already are kings and queens, children of God, named and claimed. My apologies to the band Audio Adrenaline. I'm, I'm sure their heart's in the right place. But just no, no. Jesus is calling us. Really, Jesus is offering us the gift of seeing through his eyes. This is not just simple charity. It isn't just sympathy. And it certainly isn't tolerance. This is a full embrace. Christ is the answer for the chasm to come for all of my failings and all of yours as well. But he is also the destroyer of the gates at present. His kingdom is not yet, but it is also already. It is already here, and we are invited to hear the central call of the law that gives as a gift, that is given to us as a gift for the prosperity of all people. We are invited to hear the cry of the prophets for the widow, for the orphan, for the foreigner in our land as invitation to step out of our narrow and self-centered feast and to feast with Jesus at his table. Is this easy? No. Is it fulfilling? Yes. With our prosperity, we have the most to lose, the most to risk. But with our blindness, we have absolutely the most to gain. And so my question for you is maybe the question that Jesus says to us. Do you see Do you see what Jesus is offering for you today? Let it be an invitation and good news. Amen.